my evangelism team doing? Yeah? Well, you know, uh, just, you know, I always encourage you guys to evangelize, to talk to people about Jesus. And if for some, you know, you may be thinking, I don't know where to start. Well, when you walk out these doors, there's a thing called free resources. You can take those. We have tracks. You have books. You have uh, certain situations that all revolve around Christ. You can start handing those out. Use them as a tool to start a conversation. It's all there for you to take, and maybe just take it for yourself. It doesn't matter. The point being is it's right there as soon as you walk out as an encouragement. Let me give you guys also another encouragement to, re, uh, to read the Word of God. Read Isaiah 43, verse 25, in light of today's message. Isaiah 43, verse 25, and then encourage you guys to be in prayer. Pray, pray, pray. Pray all the time. Pray where God can use you. Ask God where he can use you with this upcoming Easter aspect where we reach the, the, the city. Ask where God, God, where can you use me? God, where can you use me to help someone reach just one? Or maybe I'm the one they'll be able to do just one. Just to share that gospel. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. God, you are good. You are wonderful. You are amazing. And God, I'm sorry that those words don't fully express how just tremendous you are. But we say them. And sadly, I don't even think we, we can fathom your goodness. But we see we see it in the scriptures that you have given us, Lord, and I pray we never treat them as common. Oh, Lord, you are just good. So, Lord, be with us now as we come to your word. God, we know we have your spirit within us. Have him just bring to mind everything that we need to do because he is the great teacher. I am just a donkey that speaks, but you, Lord, through the power of your spirit, you are the teacher. Anything that is stated from this pulpit, from my mouth, or anyone, Lord, help us. If it doesn't correspond with your word, help us forget it. But that things that do correspond, Lord, we pray you would help us. You are good. Bless us now. Help us, Lord, to, be, to repent of our sins and trust in you. Amen. Okay, so today our passage is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20. But we're also going to briefly look at verses 21 and 22 for context. So our title today is Prophecy Within the Church, which highlights the general theme of this section of Scripture. Because really, though, they're separate commands. They still have this running theme in the background that, again, it just generally points out it's a prophecy within the church. But before we look at that today, I want to highlight something of great importance as we come to the passage, or just really, whenever you go to the Bible in general, to always keep in the back of your minds. When we read the Bible, it is God's word written to us, to you and me, written to his church, written to his beloved. Though God used different authors throughout time to write each book of the Bible to specific groups of people facing different problems and circumstances of life, ultimately, the whole Bible, God intended for all believers over all ages and over all times so that we can follow and trust in Christ more even if we may not be facing the same exact situation, the exact circumstance or problem that's mentioned in a specific text. 
it's still there for you to focus on so you can trust in Christ and understand it's finished in him. So, just to give you some examples of what I'm talking about, the New Testament letters, like the letters of Paul, or the book we're going over, 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote this letter to address specific issues that were going on in the church at a time and a certain point of history. And many things that Paul writes, we can apply in our life one for one. Like where Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, where he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's something we still deal with directly today in our time and history. In fact, we probably deal with it a lot. Or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, where it says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone for evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So verses like that we can analyze and apply directly in our life. But there are times where Paul or other authors of the Bible address issues that we are not directly, that, are, that we're not directly dealing with one for one, that seemingly on the surface level seem to have no relevance to our current state of life. So the question becomes, do we skip over passages like that because an author, or for our sake, for our context, skip over what Paul says here in verse 20? Because Paul has a very specific audience, a particular situation, a very specific issue in his mind that seemingly does not deal with us directly in our context of life. Should we just ignore it? Well, the answer is no. Because as Timothy, as 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. So yes, even those names that we read in the Old Testament. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may, man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What that means then for us is that we are to look at the seemingly irrelevant passages and apply the principle then in our context of life in some fashion, in some form, so that we can know and trust in our Christ more and more and know that it's truly finished for us by faith in him alone. So we're going to begin to look at our passage today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, it says this. Again, since we're on this theme of memorizing scripture, I've been saying this recently, memorize this. Do not despise prophecy. So, I stated before, Paul gets very specific in what he says in this verse. But, as we will see, he moves on in the next few following verses to kind of become more general in what he says. But for now, we're going to look at verse 20. And these prophecies that they're not to despise. That's a strong word, by the way. Now, what Paul has in mind here is, is prophets, basically. And what we're and we're talking about prophets, when, he's, when we're thinking of prophets and prophecies, we're, we're, we're thinking of people who speak directly the mind and the will of God directly to the people in an infallible and authoritative sense. 
There's no guesswork. There's no, I think, I feel, I feel the Spirit leading. None of that. But direct communication from God, his authoritative revelation to people to build this church. For remember, at this time, they did not have the full New Testament of God's word. The Bible wasn't complete. They didn't have all the books at this time. Thessalonians is one of the first books written in the New Testament or at least of the, of the New Testament letters. So more divine revelation, more divine insight was needed. For example, Paul, and, and for example, Paul would go on to write on more letters to other churches. And this very church in which we're learning about, Thessalonians, guess what? He wrote another book and it's called 2 Thessalonians because it wasn't all done. And so the church foundations were still being set, set by the apostles at this time, but also the prophets. Ephesians 2.20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So these prophets, however many there were in that current church, as with other churches at that time, God would, again, authoritatively use them to speak into the lives of the churches that they belonged to. Because, again, it's important to know they didn't have the full and complete Bible at that time. And from what we can see in this passage, because of the following verses of today's text, when Paul says here, do not despise prophecy, Two things apparently were happening amongst the people in relation to the prophets there. First, they were looking down upon what was being stated to them, ignoring these divine, infallible words spoken by the prophets to the people. They were ignoring it. Now, real quick, just so we're clear, prophets in the New Testament not only spoke of things to come in the future, that's typically what we think, but also they spoke the truth of God, which comforts and also pierces the heart so people could turn to Jesus more. So there's future telling and forth telling. And it's that forth telling part, that truth part, is why I'm sure Paul says don't despise or make no account on or don't look down on or consider worthless what they're saying to you. Because I mean, generally, who likes being told what they need to do? I mean, who likes being told what they have to let go of directly in their life? Right, not just even general, but like pointing like, hey, Billy, stop drinking. Right? I mean, who likes being called out because of sin in their life directly? Now, I say it up here generally, but who wants to like point, like start pointing out? You know, because we're sinful, it's easy to see why they could develop this attitude of a certain king in Israel, what he had in, regard, in the Old Testament in regards to prophets at the time. And where he says, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 18, it says this, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, how's that name? Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Very easy to take that attitude at that time. So, 
That is one aspect of what was going on. Conviction's not fun. But then yet there was another aspect of what was creating this despise for prophecies at that time that we can also pick up from the text that follows after. And it was this, false prophecy. For where there's anything, remember this, for where there's anything good that the Lord gives, Satan will always be there to try to ruin it, corrupt it, and make you think otherwise. If you get nothing else, just remember that. And in this case, amongst the Thessalonians, on top of them not liking the correction of the true authoritative prophets who proclaim the infallibility, with infallibility God's word into their life, they also had this other issue of dealing with false prophecies to deal with, which made them despise prophecies because the false prophets that kept rising up. You know, people who claimed to be prophets of God, but apparently they exploited or said things that were just lies, words that weren't from God at all, which obviously made them, as with anyone, not want to deal with prophecies or prophesied. Like, okay, we're done. We're throwing out everything. And apparently that was... They just said, we're just going to follow what the apostles said. That's it. We're just going to trust what the apostles taught. These prophets, we're done with them. It just causes too much. They get too personal or they're just weirdos. We're done. They're liars. But as we can see, Paul says that should not be. And Paul's going to point this out because the apostles, though they were first in authority over the whole church, outside of Christ, was over it all. The true prophets, though, were also second in authority of the church and should not be disregarded in what they say just because they're bad ones or false ones. And Paul says this elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. But, Paul understands there are false prophets, so rather than just accept anything that anyone says of God, Paul says in verses 21 through 22, to test what the prophets say first before accepting it and to flee from the false prophets. He says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, Abstain from, abstain from every form of evil. But as I said before, you can see as he's speaking about the direct situation of prophecies, he kind of then opens up and expands his commands of testing and holding fast and fleeing evil to become more inclusive of all of life. Notice in verse 21, he doesn't just say, test the prophecies, but he says, but test and that word everything, which includes prophecies, becomes kind of this launching point to test all of our interactions with the world and hold on to what is good and staying away from evil. And we'll cover that more in more detail next week. But for now, how are we to apply and understand verse 20 and not despising prophecies? Since in our context, we don't have the second-in-command authoritative prophets speaking the direct words of God's mind and will to us infallibly. Do we just ignore this part of the verse? Well, again, no. 
For there are principles here for us to apply as we look at this passage in our own context of life. Even though we don't have infallible prophets prophesying the infallible word of God to us currently. So how do we apply this? Well, what we do have is the full and complete canon of God's infallible prophetic word written down to us right now for here and the ages. See, the very Bible we have in our hands refers to itself as the prophetic or as prophecy. For the Bible is not just a storybook of good morals. It's not just to make you feel better when you get sad. But it's divine revelation. It speaks words infallibly about the events of the future, but also speaks words of infallibility of God's of who God is and his truth to us that we all must hear and trust and obey now, today. And that may be a new thought for some of you. Seeing the whole Bible as prophetic or as prophecy. But understand, again, it's not just about future stuff in the Bible. That's not just prophecy alone, but it's also prophecy in the truth that it proclaims to us. For all of it is infallible, it's inerrant, it's inspired because it comes directly from God. It's just now written down to us. And again, you don't have to just take my word for it. I said before and I'll say it again. The written word refers to itself. The scriptures refer to themselves as prophetic in the larger sense. It's just truth, divine truth. Not I think, not I feel, not I, I kind of see, I kind of hope. It's truth. It is the truth. For example, Paul refers to the Old Testament as prophecy in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. It says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, and now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. Jesus has been spoken about since Genesis. All of it points to him. According to the command of the eternal God to bring out the obedience of faith, that whole Old Testament is relevant to you and me. The Apostle John says of his whole book, the Revelation, you know, Revelation, that book, that whole book is prophecy, not just the new, the new events that are going to happen at some point. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 19 says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, you ain't adding new words to God's revelation, right? Because it's his prophecy. God will take away 
his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which is described in this book. That whole book is considered prophecy. And then Peter speaks of all this as well, of all scriptures being prophetic, the Old Testament and even the New Testament, for he knew New Testament letters were being infallibly written when he says this, 2 Peter 1, 19-21, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word, all of it, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then he includes Paul's writing in this prophetic word being carried about by the Holy Spirit later on in this very book. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And he does this in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Peter saw what Paul was writing as scripture, prophecy. Paul's letters were considered scripture in the prophetic word, which is the lamp shining in dark places. So what does this mean then for you and I? If we just look at verse 20, which we covered in depth today, and this principle of not rejecting prophecies we don't happen to like or agree with. Well then, just like the Thessalonians who were told not to despise the infallible prophetic words that came from the mouth of the prophets, then for us in application, the principle we too are not to despise parts of the infallible prophetic word which we hold in our hands, which is written down. Prophecy. We aren't called to despise certain parts of it. Now, I know some of you might look at me and say, uh, I don't despise the word of God. I don't look down upon the word of God. I don't consider it worthless. So what in the world are you thinking, Jonathan? I'm a Christian. Don't put words in my mouth. Well, you and I say that to each other, that we don't despise the word of God. But oh no, we follow it. But do you and I, do we live and act that way in life? Do we interact in our hearts and our minds and actions and our words with the people around us in ways that show we do not look down upon the prophetic word of God? And that's a big question you have to ask yourself. If we begin to compare your life, your habits, your thoughts, your interactions, your emotions, your attitudes, your words, to what God has revealed in his prophetic word, how would your life reflect such things? Would you look like you make no account of what he has prophetically said? 
Would you look like you despise what he says in his prophetic word because you just don't follow it at certain times in your life? Let's start off like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It says this, simple, like newborn infants. I have one of those. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Oh, man, he longs in the middle of the night. Long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. Let me ask, does your life, your overall life, reflect that you long for the word of God? Or does your life reflect that it's more of a duty that you have to do on a Sunday or good and maybe be part of a Bible study? We know it's good, but... Is there longing in you to read and be in the Word throughout the week. I'm not even saying that you have to read the Word. I'm granting, I'm granting that you're too busy and tired because of life. I get it. Life is hard, it's brutal, it's exhausting. Life tends to be one problem after another problem. The moment you sit down, something else pops up, and you really don't get a moment to yourself because of this or that. I get it. I get it. And I get it that you can't really focus on reading anything because your mind is so scattered because of the stress of the day. I get it. But that's not what I'm asking. That's not what Peter is stating in that verse we read. What he is saying and what I am asking is even when life is as hard as it is for you, Do you long and yearn for God's word in your heart throughout the week to build you up in the gospel of grace? Do you miss it? Are you passionately yearning for it? Wanting it because you can't get it because everything else is just so brutal. Or in its place, are you yearning for things like rest, media, solitude, Whatever. Is that what we're yearning for? Is the word of God something you're constantly crying out for during the week like a newborn cries for its mother's milk when it can't get it? Is that you? That's what we have to ask. Is that where your heart is at in regards to the prophetic word? If you're honest, well, you don't have to tell me. God already knows. Do you long for the word, or is it it only when times get tough and you run out of options? That's when it's time to read. Or how about this? That was easy, right? How about this, which will crush us all? I want you to think of enemies in your life. Okay, whoever they are, neighbor, family member, probably a lot of those, opposing political party, a coworker, a boss, maybe your spouse currently, maybe someone in this church, whoever it is, great or small enemies, whoever it is even if you find them a little bit of your enemy. 
I want you to ask yourself when we read this next passage, is this how you are treating them and thinking of them? Does your life reflect this according to his prophetic word? Or does your interaction with them reflect the very opposite as if you despise his word? Because I'm guessing we probably don't reflect this. In fact, when we hear what we're called to do from God's prophetic word with our enemies, it's probably, think of the really nasty people here, it'll probably gonna, it's probably going to turn your stomach and you will say, no, I'm not doing that. And you will think little of it. And you will look at me and say, Jonathan, you don't understand the context. You don't under, and the, the, the list is going to go on. But I'll just say, well, this is what it says in the prophetic word. And you said you don't despise it. So let me ask you. Now, this is Jesus talking. Here you go. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. Go ahead, read that every night if you like. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Okay, here we go. But I say to you who hear, those of you who believe, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse, curse you. Pray for those who are mean to you, no, who abuse you. We're talking about enemies here. To the one who, this sounds like an enemy, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And not just that, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. If someone steals your purse, go ahead and run after them, give them your car keys too. He said, you missed this, take the car. Give to everyone who begs from you. Oh, that sounds positive. No, he's talking about enemies. And from the one who takes away your goods, freedom, whatever, whatever you hold on to that's good, who takes it away, fight for them back. Nope. Do not demand in return. Is this what loving your enemies looks like? And he goes, there's verse 31. And as you wish others that others would do to you, do so to them. That means be I want people to be kind to me and to love me and to think well of me, even if I might mess up. And if I am a jerk, I want them to tell me the truth, but I want them to, to be kind and help me. Help me be better. That's what you're called to do with your enemies. And then he really gets personal. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. So, so maybe he's talking about good people or kind of nice people. Nope, he comes right back in verse 35. But love your, he comes right back, but love your enemies because everything I've talked about is in the context of enemies in your life. Do good 
and lend. Lend to your enemies. Just give it away. Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. Why? 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 What is this? This is. I know God is your prophetic word, but I think you're just saying things. I don't think you understand what you're saying, God. I mean, this is what we're saying to him. But then he says this. For he, God, is kind to the who? The ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. You have the prophetic word right here. God, what should I do with my life? Give me something. Well, it's right here. How should I act with that person, Lord? I Help me. Give me some good counsel. I don't know how to act with this person. They're just being a jerk. It's right here. What counsel do you need? Most of the time, I know for me, when I look for counsel, I'm just trying to find people who agree with me. That's most of the time my personal counsel when I'm asking people, what should I do? Tell me what I want to hear. Just don't bring that Bible, that prophetic word into it. So when we read this, let me ask, does, does all of that reflect how you live and act towards your enemies? Or does how you live reflect that you despise his word and how you treat and think of your enemies? Which is it or is it not? And if you're honest, we, I mean, sometimes maybe we're able to, by the grace of God, like it happens. But most of the time, we don't live and interact with the world as we should. Or maybe we're good at faking it, because on the inside, we just don't. Is this how we live as what has been stated in his prophetic word in regards to your enemies? Now, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom here, because I got good news. I got great news, and his name is Jesus. For he lived his life according to God's prophetic word with a passion and a love and a longing that you and I could not fulfill. And he didn't despise one aspect of the prophetic word of God. He didn't despise it in action, in word, in deed, or in attitude. And he, he did it all in our place freely. All by faith in him. And here's just one example. Matthew chapter 4, 4. Jesus was tempted to despise God's prophetic word, to twist it, to run away from it, to not do what it says. But he, it says this. This is what he did. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every prophetic word that comes out. And guess what? He lived and did not despise a single word ever for you and me in our place. Praise be to God. Because when we fail at such things in our lives, whether that's with our children, whether that's with our spouse, whether that's with the guy on the TV, or fail with our political leaders, or fail with our enemies, anyone, and we don't live by this prophetic word written to us, in any area of our life, 
we can praise God. It will not be held against us all through faith in Jesus because we are free from the power of sin and death in our life. Christ lived the life we couldn't live. He lived a perfect, he lived a perfect life. He died the very death that we deserve. He paid the debt that we owed. He took the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. And then he came back to life to give what we couldn't earn. He attained salvation. He attained freedom. He attained justification. He attained sanctification. And we get it all, the full salvation and blessings by his grace, all through faith in Jesus. For truly it's finished in Christ for us that we can have rest in this world. This gospel is good news for sinners and you and me. Amen? All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and open in prayer or close in prayer. Yeah, we can, we can do it again. I'm going to do this whole service all over again. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward, to come on up. If you want to pray with them, if there's something that you want to pray, again, coming to, coming to me, coming to a deacon, I'm just going to explain this here. It's not magical. They're no special people like a priest or something like that. You're all priests. You can talk to God, whoever. But the reason why people come up here to pray is to, or the deacons is because sometimes it's good to do it in fellowship. Okay? So if you, and, and if you accepted Christ today and say, hey, I need him. I need a Savior like this. Well, you could do it right then and there. We'll never know. You could walk off praising Jesus all day long. We just want to know him. So come on up. Let us know. Let us know. I accepted Christ. We'll get you baptized. So let's just pray a little bit here. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done. God, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your prophetic word. God, thank you for letting it reveal our failures, but then also revealing the grace and the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Oh, God, I pray that we're able to be encouraged, to have gratitude, to just say, help me, Jesus. I just want to follow you. God, if there's someone that doesn't know you here today, I pray that today be the day that they proclaim that you have found set free. And Lord, I pray for those who are having relational issues or struggles, things that you have revealed to me today, Lord, I pray that whether they come up here and pray with someone or whether they pray with someone that they know, that they can be encouraged to know that they have already been forgiven and set free and that they can start afresh, brand new, because every day they get to wake up to your unconditional love. We pray this now in your son's name.